Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. All right. Uh, One more second of prayer. Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, as we come to your word, we bow to you and ask that you would speak to us. Give us ears to hear your voice right here in this place. You are a God who speaks. It's by your word all things have been made. Hebrews tells us it is by your word that all things are sustained. And so by the power of your grace, your word today, would you speak among us? Create new things here. Tear down, build up. Renew. Glorify yourself. We pray that for our kids downstairs, our apex crowd, middle school students, and us right here. Open us up to you and speak, Lord. Amen. All right, this morning, oh, my name is Scott. If we haven't met, Scott Anderson. Nice to have you with us today. I hope uh, you have felt welcomed by someone. I hope so. Um, This morning, we're returning to our All Things New study on the gospel, change, and everyday life in Christ. It's an extended conversation that I think we'll be in for a few more weeks still on how God wants to and does bring change in our lives. Real change, deep change, holy change, glorious change. Change that we long for, change that we need. Setting us free from things that enslave us and leading us into the goodness of God's grace, mercy, ways, wisdom. There's a line in Colossians chapter 1 where Paul says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I love that description of conversion and salvation. Forgiveness, yes, but with that, rescue. Out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son who reigns in love. The verse that we keep coming back to in this series that I suspect some of you have memorized by now, um, it gives us our series title. It's Revelation 21, verse 5, which reads, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And so the study is sought is seeking to just explore what this means, what God is after, what it looks like in our lives. For you and me, because in the grace of God, the gospel isn't just about the renewal of the cosmos and creation and fallen systems and structures, though gloriously it is that, but it is also about you. Jesus' words in Revelation 21 verse 5 are an announcement, exciting announcement, (laughs) of God's invitation, God's desire God's intention to make all things new in us, in you and in me, to remake us in the image of Jesus. And not just on the other side of the grave, but in this life, 
on this side of Jesus' grave and resurrection as we seek and follow Jesus. And so this morning, I want to take us into another aspect of the how. Another aspect of the the means of how God does this and how we can experience this by making the most basic elementary observation about this verse that I can imagine. Two Sundays ago, on our, in my brief Easter proclamation between baptism tank dunks, uh, we celebrated the reality that the, this announcement matters. We can have hope that Jesus can make all things new because he is the one who is seated on the throne. Because he is the one who reigns over all. He is not just some powerless being who says, hey, I'm making all things new. No, Jesus is on the, re- on the throne of all creation. He has authority. It's by his word that all things were made. It's by his word that all things were, are sustained. And it's by his word that we can be remade. But today I want to invite us to notice something even more basic than this. Even more basic than who is speaking this to this simple observation that this announcement comes to us in the form of Scripture. The very words of Jesus to us. And we need to acknowledge this because if not for this, we would not know the gospel of Jesus. If not, we would not know God's intention, God's desire, God's invitation, desire Sorry, my brain is fuzzled. We would not know God's desire, intention, and invitation to make all things new in us if not for the fundamental grace of God's revelation in Scripture and in Jesus, if not for God's Word. Think about that. You would know nothing about Jesus. Nothing. All that Jesus has taught you about the Father, you would not know if not for God's word. It seems ridiculous to highlight it, but the word in Revelation 21 verse 5 that we need to underline today is this simple word, said. And he who was on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. If you have a Bible open with you, you'll notice that the verse doesn't actually conclude here, though this is the part I have quoted week after week after week. No, John goes on, the writer of the Revelation. It goes on, it says, also he said, write this down. He's quoting Jesus now, speaking to him. He, He said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. I mention this today because when Jesus in the Gospel of John prays for the Father's sanctifying, transforming, renewing work in us, This is what Jesus prays for, that we would be sanctified by the truth of God's revelation. We've been talking for weeks now about God's desire to make us new. We've been saying, many of us inwardly or maybe out loud, yes, I want it. I want to be made new. I want to be rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought in the kingdom of the Son he loves in experience. I want to be made holy in my heart, in my soul, in my mind, in my strength. How Jesus prays that we would be sanctified by the truth of God's revelation, that we would be sanctified by the word of God. 
John 17, verse 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. For the last month or so, since we tipped into the latter half of this study, we've been exploring the how, the how of sanctification, how God changes us, how we are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in us. And here in John 17, Jesus himself tells us through a prayer that we get to listen in on, I love John 17 in that sense, right? We get to listen in on Jesus praying to the Father. What a beautiful mystery. And here in John 17, as we listen in on Jesus' prayer, Jesus tells us that the primary means, one of the primary means of God's sanctifying work in your life and in mine is through the word of God. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Which if you know the story of scripture should be no surprise to you. Since the fall of humanity, as described for us in Genesis 3, the entrance of sin, rebellion to the world's story, the sad, destructive, unsanctifying of all of creation came as a result of what? Evil, meanness, stupidity, lies. Lies about God, lies about God's character, lies about God's trustworthiness, and lies about what it means to be fully alive and how to experience that life. The serpent came to Eve and said, did God really say You will not, certainly. The serpent's words question the character, the will, the wisdom, the goodness of the Father, and the way that we come to be most fully alive, actualized. And so not surprisingly, Jesus, in true love and wisdom, prays to the Father in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now, some of you might have already dialed out on me this morning because as far as you can see, this is the most basic sermon Scott could preach. Come on. We've heard it. We know it. We should read our Bibles. Thanks, Scott. You should have said that and sent us home. This is as basic as telling a Christian to pray or go to church or love your enemies. But here's the question. Do we? And not just do you read your Bible, but do we read the Bible? Do we engage God's word with hope and faith for God's necessary sanctifying work in us? Do we study, meditate on scripture on our own together in a moment like this? Because that's what we're doing, right? with a hungry mind and expectant heart that doing so is a vital pathway to life, to the undoing of the lies that destroy us and to the awakening of God's holiness in us, to renewal, to sanctification. Because if not, if that is not the case for you, then I think there is something in Jesus' prayer that we need to hear today and come back to often. That is good news for us. But before we get there, I simply want to name the reality that 
our minds and what occupies our minds plays an indispensable role in our growth in Christ, our growth in holiness, which some of us need to hear because we've often perceived faith, bold faith, all-out faith as somehow antithetical to the life of the mind, somehow hostile to the, a vibrant life of the mind. I'm sure some of us have been taught this or perceived this or watched those YouTube videos or seen that meme about Christians that has turned their brain off so they can love God. That embracing faith in Jesus and growing in Jesus means choosing faith over reason. Faith over reality. Faith over logic. Faith over science. Faith over wisdom. Faith over facts. Which is what sometimes has been taught. But this is not something we learn from Jesus or the Bible. In truth, the call of faith in Christ is a call to not turn off our minds and choose instead to have faith. But the call to faith in Christ is a call to engage our minds with the truth that is revealed in and by Jesus and God's word. To Engage our minds with the truth of the mind of Jesus, with his understanding of reality and his firsthand knowledge of the Father. At the most basic level of the Christian faith is a conviction that Jesus is smart. That Jesus, God himself, knows. Knows what is best. Knows how life works knows why things are broken and how they can be restored, understands all things. Whether we're talking about Christian conversion or discipleship or growth in holiness, at every turn, the invitation is not to abandon our reason, but to reason with, to reason with what God is is saying and doing, with what God is revealing and offering. In truth, this is the definition This is the literal translation of the New Testament word repentance. Some of us know the New Testament Greek word is metanoia, and it literally means think around this. Think around this. Metanoia, noia being the Greek word knowledge, meta, preposition, around. Think around this. Bring your mind to engage with this. Reason with this, and specifically reason with, wrap your mind around Jesus' revelation of reality so much so that this new understanding would dig deep and lead you in a new direction. The Old Testament word, the Hebrew word for repentance, shub, means to turn around, to go in a new direction. The New Testament word means think around this and let it lead you in a new direction. This is the essence of Christian conversion and the call to faith. Wrap your mind around this. And let it take you on a new path. And discipleship, the Christian life, is no different. To be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. Not just a believer in, but a follower of, right? And the heart of that following of Jesus is a, an active learning posture. Becoming a student, a lifelong student of the one who knows fully and perfectly a lifelong student, apprentice, learner of Jesus. And again, this is literally what the Greek word for disciple, mathetes, means, to be a student 
an apprentice, a learner of someone, someone who knows more than you in that. Someone is Jesus. Which is why Jesus came, first and foremost, not as a warrior, or as a priest, or as a ruler, but as a teacher, a rabbi, inviting us to think again, to learn from him. Hear the well-known invitation of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Meaning, part of your weariness, part of your burden, is that you have been hitching the yoke of your understanding to the wrong rabbi, the wrong voices, the wrong so-called wise ones. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says. And you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me. But it doesn't just stop with Jesus and then we get to the rest of the New Testament and they just say, have more faith, have more faith, have more faith. Just have faith and try harder. No. You read the rest of the New Testament letters and at every turn, honestly, this afternoon, tomorrow night, you're... Tuesday night, ritual, three-hour Bible reading time. Read through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, four short little letters, and just pay attention and highlight every time you come across the word mind, you will be stunned. At every turn in the New Testament, we are invited to grasp that growing in Christ requires and involves the renewal of our minds. As the Apostle Paul famously says, another super well-known text, Romans 12, verse two, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, hold up. In saying this, I'm not saying that we can simply think our way into holiness. One year, at Cape and Ray Bible School, sorry, Olivia, will not guarantee holiness. Three years at Regent College studying a graduate degree in biblical theology will not guarantee or necessarily make anyone holy in and of itself. We cannot think our way into holiness and Christian maturity. As James K.A. Smith, a contemporary Christian philosopher and theologian, wisely says, we are not merely brains on sticks. And what he means by that is we can't simply think our way into Christian maturity and holiness. But equally so, we will not grow in Christ unless we engage our minds with Jesus, with the revelation of God in his word on an ongoing basis. This is basic Christian conversion. This is everyday discipleship. Why? Because nothing destroys us and our faith in God more than lies. Lies about God, about ourselves, and what leads to life. And so Jesus, our teacher, who knows this more than we ever could, prays in John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Notice with me that when we hear, we hear this from Jesus, not in a moment of teaching, but in a moment of prayer. 
prayed in the presence of the disciples. And specifically praying to whom? The Father, right? Of course. Yes. But that's not all. Notice how Jesus refers, if you have John 17 open, notice how Jesus refers to the Father at the beginning or in the heart of this prayer. It's, it's in verse 11. Jesus addresses the Father in a particular way that is intended to get our attention. I like to, I have like a great Bible highlighter. It's like bold, catches my attention. And this is one of those parts that I've bolded. <laughs> John 17, verse 11, Jesus prays, Holy Father, Holy Father. Jesus knew and spoke of the eternal Father as none other than Holy Father. Why point this out? And why does it hit me emotionally? It does. Why does this matter for us today? It matters because this is the foundation the fountain and the fuel of our sanctification, our growth and holiness, our coming to see and know God as Jesus does. This is the foundation, the fountain and the fuel of our growth and holiness, our coming to see and know the Father as Jesus does, to see and know and trust and worship the Father as God, our Holy Father which might not sound that beautiful or inspiring to some of us. And Jesus knows it. Thank God he does. That's why he prays this prayer. It might to us sound just like a religious phrase, Holy Father, or maybe it sounds worse. Maybe it makes us think of a residential school trauma we've heard of with that name. Or others. But for Jesus, those words don't mean that. For Jesus, these words were the fuel and the fountain of a great affection and trust and a passion for us that would lead him to pray because he, no one, I would say, no one understands the goodness of holiness like Jesus, which means no one understands the goodness of the Father like Jesus, which is why Jesus was and is so passionate about this, that he would pray this for you and for me. Read any of the Gospels attentively, and you'll discover this at every turn. Jesus, in all things, seeking to reveal the goodness of the Father, which is to say the holiness of the Father, to others at every turn. And I can say this personally for me, Years ago, in the journey of my discipleship, wrestling through who is this God who is revealed in Scripture, and reading through the Gospels and saying, okay, who is Jesus saying the Father is? And being astounded, astounded what I discovered. How much this is at the beating heart of Jesus to reveal the Father to us. At every turn, in his teaching, his example, his eating meals with tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees, his ministry of healing and deliverance. This is what so many of the parables are about. This is why Jesus came and died on the cross to reveal, among other things, to reveal the truth of the reality of the Father to us, the heart of God to us. 
This is the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. The prayer that Jesus teaches all of his followers to pray. Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is so old-timey to some of us. That is so like something we just said in grade four if you're my age or older and you prayed it in school. What is he saying? What's he inviting us into? Why would Jesus make this first? Why does this matter so much to Jesus? He's inviting us to join him in praying that God's name, God's character, God himself will be revealed for the holy God that he is to you and to me and to others, which we need because often we can't see it. Go through something, something happens or something doesn't happen in the world to us, to another. And we find ourselves wondering and then thinking and then increasingly convinced whether we realize it or not, afraid even that maybe the Father doesn't care. And we might even still be in this room. We might be sitting right here, but we don't know why. That song meant nothing to us. We felt fake. We felt like that is so not what God is like for me. That is so not what God is like. We find ourselves experiencing something or not. Something happens in the world or in our lives and the lives of others. We find ourselves wondering, thinking, increasingly convinced whether we realize it or not, even afraid that maybe the Father doesn't care or worse, the Father is cruel. God is cruel. Maybe God is against us. Maybe God is the problem. And Jesus knows this. He knows that this is what goes on inside of our hearts and minds and among us and among many in our day and down through the ages. And so he teaches us to pray before anything else, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Why? Because according to Jesus, the Father is not what we fear. According to Jesus, he is not what the serpent wants us to believe or what our circumstances are might seem to suggest to us. Alyssa, can you close that door? Thank you. I'm distracted. According to Jesus, God is holy. The word holy, Old Testament, Hebrew word, New Testament words, have kind of two meanings. One is, this basic sense of set apart. Like, unlike the others. But with that too, it's not just a abstract kind of non-reality. Throughout the Bible, we find this word increasingly carrying a meaning that God is, there's a fullness to it, not just a distance. And that fullness is God is completely good, loving, merciful, kind, just. God in God is nothing vindictive, cruel, deceptive, oppressive. God is the complete fullness of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Those are not just descriptions of Jesus. Those are descriptions of the Father that the Spirit comes to bring in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit is because this is God's life. That is what it means in all of its glory when Jesus says, Holy 
Father, wonderfully, beautifully, gloriously, graciously holy, abounding in goodness and glory, a glory and goodness that we are invited to see and know in Jesus himself. As Jesus says in John 14, verse 8, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you know that scene? John 14, Philip, Jesus is going to go to the cross. They don't get it. They don't understand what's happening, what's coming. And Philip says, can you just show us the Father? That'll be enough for us. And I'm sure some of us have had that. Can you just show me the Father? And Jesus says, I've been with you so long and you don't see him. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Nothing I do, nothing I say I do on my own is the Father at work in me. That's John 4, 14, 8 to 18. That's what it's all about. This is the passion of Jesus, that you and I would come to know the Father as he is, as Jesus knows him. In all of his goodness and glory, God, our holy Father, a Father we can trust Father, worthy of all of our trust and affection, allegiance, and worship. And so Jesus prays for us. John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, so if according to Jesus we are sanctified by the truth, what is the truth, which is God's word, he says specifically. What is God's word? What is God's word? And I know as I say that, some of you kind of feel like, really, Scott? Do you need to even ask that? You're maybe frustrated that I'd ask it. Every Christian knows the Bible is the Word of God. Yes? 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 Yes. (laughs) We need to ask the question, not just because some doubt it, but because in the Gospel of John, Jesus himself refers to God's Word in three ways. Three distinct ways but deeply related ways. And I would say, if we are followers of Jesus, then we need to understand and embrace all the ways that Jesus uses this term. That this is vital to our sanctification, our growing up into the likeness of Jesus, our being remade in the image of Jesus. So first, Jesus understands and affirms God's sanctifying word to be scripture, the whole of the Bible. We learn this from Jesus at so many turns. And I, I just want, this needs to be, this is so basic, but it needs to be said again and again and again, because there are many in our day who claim to follow Jesus who are increasingly putting the Bible down and saying, oh, it's okay, I just have the spirit. Oh, I'll just meditate on Jesus. Jesus himself, he didn't carry a Bible, because I don't think people carried a Bible, but he carried a Bible. He knew it. He was steeped in it. His conversations, his prayers, his influence, his actions poured out of a deep knowledge of God's inspired word. And we hear it in John's gospel. John 17, verse 12, the very chapter we're in, Jesus referring to a particular event, the faithfulness of disciples and the exit of Judas, says, so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus understood the Hebrew scriptures to be vital Reality, descriptions of reality in his day in our world. John 10, verse 34, Jesus quotes a, a psalm from the Hebrew Bible, explicitly refers to this psalm as the word of God, and then says, and scripture cannot be set aside. Jesus says that. This is the word of God, and it cannot be set aside. 
John 5, verse 39, Jesus rebukes the teachers of the law saying, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify to me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Honestly, sometimes people use a verse like this to make the point that knowing and studying the Bible is not the point. And it's not. But Jesus, in saying this, wasn't and isn't rejecting Scripture or inviting us to move beyond it to something else that is the point. Jesus was simply pointing out that the aim of Scripture, the reason God has given us his revelation in words, is that we would be led to Jesus, led by Jesus. And that is why we need his word as much as Jesus did. One more reference I can't skip. It's not from the Gospel of John, it's from the Gospel of Luke. Again, note, all of this is quotes from Scripture. Daniel took this text last week. I'm sure many churches in the last few weeks have come back to the Emmaus Road story, right? It is striking to me, it is instructive, I think, to us, that the risen Jesus on the road to Emmaus, as he walked with these struggling, wrestling, doubting, discouraged, confounded disciples in the wake of Jesus' death and resurrection, though they didn't yet understand it, that in that moment, as Jesus explains the gospel to them on the road, what does he do? He doesn't say, okay, yeah, yeah, let's just leave that. Here, let me talk to you. He opens up the scriptures to them, we're told. Takes them through the most epic Bible study this world has ever experienced. Jesus himself opens the scripture from Moses through the prophets and explains how it points to him. Friends, if anyone ever says to you, or some podcast says, that because we have Jesus, we no longer need the Bible, or that Jesus leads us beyond the Bible, turn it off. Because Jesus himself taught and affirms the Bible as the very word of God that we need to be sanctified, to be made like him. Holy Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. According to Jesus, the whole of the Bible, the Old and New Testament is God's sanctifying word to us. Second, Jesus understands and affirms God's word, God's sanctifying word to be the very words that Jesus himself speaks. Which is to say, Jesus' words are the words of God to us. John 524, very truly, this is Jesus speaking, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. John 6, verse 63, the spirit gives life. Flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. John 7, 16, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. John 8, 28, pretty much the same thing. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. So every time you hear Jesus, you see the red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, I know there's some like green letter Bibles too that talk more about God's heart for creation, but there's also some red letter Bibles if you have one of those. Those are not just the words of Jesus. Those are the words of the Father. They are a revelation of the reality of the living God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit to us. According to Jesus, his words are God's sanctifying word to us, words that we need to hear and know and live by. 
And I, I feel it. I feel it this week as I sit with this one prayer, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. And I'm studying it and I find Jesus pray, Holy Father. And I find my heart being pulled into Jesus' revelation of the Father. Holy Father, it makes me trust him more and want to obey him. Because when we see the Father as he is, we, we, we want his will. Who cares about God's will if God's not good? But Jesus comes and says, come, let me show you the Father. Let me show you the Father. He's not how you think he is. He's so much better. His holiness is the best news for this world. Come, learn from me, follow. Third, with that, scripture, the words of Jesus, and third, and this is the grandest mystery of them all, at the heart of the Christian confession. In John's gospel, we are invited to understand and embrace that Jesus himself is the very word of God. Not to the rejection of all the other ways that God speaks, but at the heart of it. Jesus himself is the very word of God to us in flesh, which means everything Jesus does is a revelation of God. Every time Jesus goes and shares a meal with someone that we think God wouldn't share a meal with, he is saying something about God that we need to hear. Every time Jesus offers forgiveness that we think is undeserved, but it is offered from God, is a revelation of God. Every time Jesus flips over a table, every time Jesus offers comfort, says to John, take care of her. She's your mother. That's family. Everything Jesus does, says, his priorities, his protests, his affirmations, including the cross, are a revelation of God to us, God's sanctifying word to us. Years ago, um, Trevor Hudson, I was reading one of his books. Um, he's a South African Methodist author, teacher, follower of Jesus, so thankful for him. And he has this beautiful exercise. I think I've mentioned it before, but he talks about the wisdom of sitting down sometime, or maybe again and again throughout our life and on a page writing the word God and just describing God, what we perceive God to be. Just write down all the words that come to mind, all the things we think about God. Flip over the page and write Jesus and describe Jesus. And then take that page of Jesus and put it over the other because Jesus is the revelation of God to us. Jesus has come to deconstruct the unholy ideas we have come to accept about God. He has come to renew in our hearts and minds our vision of who God is that he might then renew us. In the beginning was the word, John 1, 1. And the word was with God and the word was God. John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John 5, 19, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. Do, do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing because what the father does, the son does also. John 14, 9, anyone who's seen me has seen the father. In the grace, the mystery of grace, Jesus himself is the revelation, the word of God to us. In flesh and bones, God with a shoulder to lean on, with the face, with arms to flip a table in righteous anger, and hands to invite us to his table. Jesus, the incarnate, God in flesh, 
word to us. Holy Father, Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He prays it and he fulfills it. In the words of scripture, in the words of Jesus and in his own life. A word that we need, a prayer that we need. Think about that. What an amazing thing that Jesus, the eternal son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, prays for you. That you would be sanctified by the word of God. Linger on that. In the midst of the environment that you're in, maybe you're on the college campus as a staff, as a student, as an administrator. You're in a world spinning with ideas about God. Maybe you are dialing into social media endlessly or some meme generator or YouTube videos or whatever that are constantly describing God and the world in all these sorts of ways. Maybe your life is crashing or the world around you, someone you know and love is going through hell. Others are wandering off. You're watching leaders in the church fall and fail or blatantly misrepresent Jesus and the gospel. And in the midst of that, Jesus is praying for you and for me, for us, that we would be sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. That we would come to know the Father as Jesus does. That out of this, our hearts would increasingly say, Yes, please, to God and his will and his ways. We would want to hear his commands and want to obey his commands because we know we want God himself, that he is the best news for us. And so friends, if this is Jesus' prayer for us, that we will be sanctified by the word, then the implication is obvious. It's listen. And I use the word listen, not read, specifically because that is the primary invitation of scripture. Some of us kind of think, well, I'm not really a reader. That's not the invitation, it's listen. Listen to God's word and find your way to do it. Janet referenced an app, Lectio 365. Many people use that. It doesn't work for me at all. If I just listen to something, it just like passively shoots past me after five minutes. I'm like, why am I doing this? I have to read. That's how I'm engaged. And not just read with my brain kind of partly there, but like with a pen out and engage my mind of what's really saying, what does it say about Jesus? You gotta find your way to do it. Some people memorize scripture. Most of us think, ah, I'm not good at memorizing. None of us are good at memorizing. But after you start doing it for a bit, you start having it there and you go, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. And I initially, when I started reading that, I said, sanctify them by your truth. No, it's the truth. Your word is truth. And it just digs in. I'm reading Corinthians right now. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. I don't know about Sosthenes yet. But as I memorize it, I'm struck with, wow, so many of the New Testament letters begin with him saying Paul and apostle. But here he adds this word called. He's naming as he writes this letter that the foundation of his life with God is not about his choosing, but about God's calling him. And memorizing it gets me grappling with the words. I start meditating on it, mulling on it. Listen, listen, and follow. That is the invitation of God. Listen and follow. All right, let me end with 
this morning. I had a really weird week. Sometimes being a pastor is the weirdest job in the world. But maybe you'd say that about your job or your work. This week, dug deep into budget building with the finance team and with Treese. Yay, Treese, and all your hard work. Where are you? Thank you to the finance team for your attentive care, leaning in, uh, studying for preaching, praying with some folks, sitting with a family going through the most heartbreaking trauma I could imagine, um, planning a funeral with someone, coaching staff through joys and challenges, um, all sorts of stuff. And I, I felt pulled in so many ways. And then I get into prayer the next morning and my heart's a little bit like just frayed. And even this morning, I wake up and I'm feeling, I had, weird, I had some weird dreams. I have no memory of them. I'm that guy. Like I wake up and know like I had a weird dream, but I have no idea what it was. But you wake up feeling weird. And I knew I was going to speak today. And I'm like, ah, oh, God, settle me. And so my practice is, I open up scripture and I read the next psalm. The next psalm meaning the one after the one I read yesterday. And today's psalm was Psalm 13. And it says, How long, Lord, how long, Yahweh, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Yahweh my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Not that I felt that I had been cast off, but I sat with some folks this week who felt like maybe God is gone, maybe God is mean, maybe God doesn't care. And I have been for a few days feeling like, how do I pray for these guys? And I open up God's word here and this is words in that space and words that speak to me and words that affirm to me that God's people have experienced moments like this before. We all will. This is a part of the Christian life. This is a part of life with God and yet he is, as the scripture says, Psalm 13, he is, has unfailing love, has said covenant faithfulness, meaning he doesn't give up on us even when we can't see him. And my mind runs to a song. I'll close with this. I hope this works. I think I've shared a bit of this before. It's not one of my best songs, caveat. Um, St. Francis had this prayer he would often pray. Just simply, he'd say the words, my God and my all, as a way of turning his heart towards God. And a bunch of years ago, as I prayed that, I started just a prayer came out of it of a posture of wanting to open my heart again each morning to God and these are the words and I'll give it to us and we'll sing a closer. If the worship team wants to come up, you can get ready other than Simon whose guitar I'm holding. Is this on? Do I need to do anything? Okay. My God and my all Oh, can I have a capo? Can I go up a step? Thank you. So different playing someone else's guitar. My God and my all. My God and my all. 
close your eyes with me let this guide you my God and my all open my eyes awaken my soul prepare my heart to hear toward you. Bow us. Teach us. Teach us. Be our teacher. Lead us, God, to listen. Lord, when our hearts think otherwise of you, when we do not think you are holy, let us not believe the lies that the serpent and the world and our own flesh are crying out with. But lead us back to yourself that we might know because of you, your good name as we will sing. That your name might become the most glorious thing. Your name, your character, who you are would become the most glorious thing in our minds. In our minds that it might captivate our lives, our will, our heart, our affections, Lord. So come Holy Spirit and open our hearts to 